Hello. If you're able to, please close your eyes. Take a deep breath in. And a deep breath out. Relax your shoulders. Unclench your jaw. Take another deep breath in. And another breath out. You can open your eyes now. My name is David and welcome to Mindful Moments. Welcome back and welcome to episode 30. As those of you who have listened to the previous episodes will know, every 10th episode, we do a Q&A. Episode 10, we did 10 questions. Episode 20, we did 20 questions. Episode 30, we were supposed to do 30 questions. And I got loads of questions. I got given loads of questions to answer. Thank you for all your questions. Whilst compiling a list, I quickly realized that if I were to answer 30 questions, I wouldn't answer them very well. I'd have to be short on my answers just for the sake of answering 30 questions. So I think today I'm going to change our tradition slightly. Every 10th episode, we will do a Q&A, but I think we're going to cap it at 20 questions, just so I can answer the questions properly. You know how we do things over here. We do things properly. So I hope that's okay with you because that's what's going to happen. <laughs> but without further ado, let's do today's Q&A. 20 questions, episode 30. And question one, you clearly adore your job. What did you want to be when you were younger? Was it different? I do really adore my job. I really do. I'm a full-time content creator, for those who don't know. Love my job. Love what I do. Super, super, super grateful to do it. When I was younger, I wanted to be an inventor up until probably year one, which is when you're, I think, six or seven. I wanted to be an inventor because I just wanted to make things up. And then when I realized that was more of a thing in films, I, I used to say I wanted to be a lawyer when I was younger. I think that was because that's kind of what was expected of me. And when people asked what I wanted to be in future, I had felt pressure to name a profession, like something that led to a real job. So I said I wanted to do law at university and I said I wanted to be a lawyer. But really, if I look at what I enjoyed and what I wanted to do and what I liked, I've always liked writing. I've always wanted to write in some capacity. I, in school, I used to always have my own notebook that I'd bring in with my exercise book for whatever subject it was. And it's probably the only thing I've ever consistently been in trouble for at parents' evenings. My teachers would say, David is really is a really good student, etc. But during the lesson, you'll just see this book creep out and you'll think he's taking really diligent notes and then you'll realize he's writing his own thing. And I was, I was always writing in my notebooks. I was writing lyrics, you know, poetry, anything that kind of I enjoyed. So I feel like anyone who knew who I was at school or anyone who really knew me in my life the things I'm doing now aren't really that much of a surprise. They're all adjacent to things I've always loved doing. So yeah. Question two. When would you say was the first time a dream came true in your adult life and what was it? It's a really excellent question. I'd say when I got my recording equipment. And when I first got my recording equipment was, it was just my laptop this microphone and an interface. 
I'd always wanted, I'd wanted to do music for a really long time. And when I got this equipment, is the first time I really felt creative. Like without releasing anything, without putting anything out, without showing anybody what I was doing, I literally was just making things every day and learning how to make things and learning how to work with sound. And that for me was, I loved it so much. I'd, go, I'd be able to sit there for hours and just make things I just think of things and try things out. And I wouldn't even notice the time passing because I loved it so much. And that was one of the occasions where I dreamed of something. The dream came true and it was every bit as wonderful as I expected it to be. So yeah, it was really, it was really amazing. It was my final year of university, being able to afford, I'd saved for ages, being able to afford the equipment and just trying things out. As I said before, it was even being shown to me one before it was for a reason, just the act of having saved for these things, being able to use them and being able to create felt like a dream come true every time that I was doing it and still does, still really does. Every now and then when I'm doing things, I just have moments where I feel like, wow, I literally can't believe that I'm doing this. So yeah, probably that. Question three, if you could choose a shape to visually represent your life, what would that shape be? I love this question. If I had to choose a shape to visually represent my life, it would be a circle. I feel like there's nothing new under the sun. Life goes in circles and life goes in patterns. And all we do is find different ways of expressing the same things. And I think that's a thought that soothes me and comforts me in many ways. It comforts me because I feel there's no challenge, no tribulation that I go through that nobody else has ever been through in some form or other. It makes me feel that all things go in cycles. So even when things are bad, things will be good again because things go in circles. I also feel that the fact that everything goes in circles and there isn't really anything new under the sun means, I actually think that means individuality and expression are even more important all there are are new and different ways of expressing the same things and of doing the same things. And that's why our individuality is so clear, is so apparent, because the reason we don't get tired of the same things and seeing the same things and coming across the same principles is because everybody expresses the same things in different ways. There's no, there are no two people who have had exactly the same life. That nobody is you, nobody is me. And so these same things that go in circles somehow become different just because of how unique and individual each one of us is. Yeah. So that thought makes me really happy that things are, things go in circles, things go in circles, things go in cycles. And the only difference is how unique and individual each one of us is, which is really wonderful. It's really wonderful. Question four, what part of the podcast slash video making process do you love the most? What I'm doing right now, the talking, the thinking and the talking. That, the thinking and the talking and the engagement afterwards. So if I think through the whole process, there's thought, there's concept. I have this idea I want to talk about. There's actually talking about it. There's editing, there's posting, and there's reaction. My favorite parts are the talking and the reaction. Reaction can be good or bad, but I just enjoy interacting with people. The reason I do all of this is because I don't just speak into a void. I speak and enjoy being spoken back to. I enjoy us having conversation. I enjoy 
everyone interacting and engaging with the things that I talk about. So I love that part. And I love the actual talking. I really enjoy sitting here and getting to voice my thoughts. I don't enjoy the editing. I'll be really honest. There is, there are certain parts of it I enjoy and I'm, I, I'm someone who likes a routine. So I like the routine of it, but some of it can be very tedious and very boring. However, it really does teach me a lot about myself. I feel like even down to watching myself speak and the phrases I tend to use and the filler words I tend to use and the way that I start sentences and where I pause and all that kind of stuff, I am improving myself just by analyzing my own performance every week is really useful to me, really valuable to me. Also with the subtitles, I feel like subtitling everything I do is non-negotiable for me for accessibility purposes, but also in terms of grammar and structuring sentences and thinking, I actually think as I speak, how something would look written down and that helps me to speak better. So really I have to say I do, <laughs> although I find the editing boring sometimes, I enjoy it in that it challenges me and pushes me to be better. Yeah. Generally though, love all of it, obviously. That's why we're at episode 30. Question five, how do you stop negative thoughts about others when they arise and be more compassionate? I've always felt I'm not my first thought and my reaction to that thought. That's something my mum's taught me. I can't always or won't always react to things in a way that's reflective of my higher self. Sometimes I will look at something, I'll see something, I'll consume something, and I'll think something negative that I really wish I hadn't, that I don't, that I wish wasn't of me. But unless we look at ourselves as the multifaceted beings that we are, unless we see our own flaws, there's no way to fix them. I think the first thing is, it's very important to ask why you're reacting a certain way to something. If I cringe at something, if somebody makes me upset, if I look down on something, it's important for me to investigate why I feel that way when I look at or see something. It's really important to say, what did that trigger in you to make you react like that? Why? And we do tend to know the answer to that. If you sit and think hard enough, you will, you'll, you'll know why. You'll, a lot of the time, if you dislike something as someone else, it can be because you would dislike it if it was in yourself. And it, often it comes back to the self and how I actually view myself. After that, I always get to choose how I react to it. You can have a negative thought about someone and they can never know about it. They, can, they should never know about it, really. So it's always my choice how I react to said negative thoughts. I never have to react or tell the person or... Yeah, I never had to put that negativity onto somebody. And generally, we can train ourselves to think kind of things about people. If I chastise myself every time I have a negative thought about someone or a thought that's not very compassionate, and I say this from experience, I don't want to think like that. I don't want to think that of that person and I shouldn't think that of that person. If I take a second to do that to myself every time I think something I don't want to think, gradually over time, I will be more compassionate to those people, to, for, for those people. And it's all about trying to understand where other people come from and understand the differences between us and why someone might do something, say something that I wouldn't, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing. So yeah, questioning where it comes from and challenging myself to do better regularly every time it comes up. That's my solution. Question six, when did you decide to start making motivational content? That question may not be a compliment, may not be intended as a compliment, but I, I receive it as one. 
I have never actively sat there and thought, I'm going to make content to motivate people. All I do is share my life and share my thoughts. And it just so happens that I guess sometimes the things I share and the things I say are motivational to people. And I'm really humble. I'm very, very humbled by that because it's interesting. I guess it goes to the whole grass is always greener thing. Because I'm in my own head, I always look at myself and see the areas I want to improve and the things I'm not doing well enough. And I tend to be self-critical by default, which is something I'm trying to fix and something I'm much better at than I used to be. But generally, I don't try to make things motivational. I, I'm aware of how helpful I find it when people are honest about their journey and honest about where they are and honest about what they're thinking, what they're struggling with and all that kind of, all that kind of stuff. I find it very helpful when people are, when people share what they're going through and when people talk about what they're going through very honestly. And knowing that I find that helpful, I know that there are probably other people who find that kind of thing helpful, which is why I make the kind of content I do and why I make this podcast. It's very, as I said, humbling and incredibly affirming that that's received as motivational because it means I must be doing something right. But I never want anyone to think that I'm talking about my own life and talking about myself in a way where I'm saying, you should be like me, you should do the things I'm doing. It's not so much that. I'm just sharing what's working for me at the moment in hope that it might be helpful for someone else too. So I've never decided to make motivational content is the short answer to that. But if my content is motivational at any point to anyone, I'm very happy about that. Above all things, I just want my content to be honest. I want it to be a true reflection of what I'm thinking and what I'm going through. And so I hope that that more than anything is what comes across when I create. Question seven, do you have any major regrets in life? If so, how do you deal with those feelings of regret? I studied English and French at uni and in French, and I guess in English too, there's a tense in the past called the past perfect, the plus parfait. And that tense is for a completed action in the past. And when I learned that, I always enjoyed French grammar, probably more than I should have. And that was very satisfying to me in my brain. The past perfect. In terms of the past, that action is perfect. Not necessarily maybe in terms of what I would want or by, by the criteria of the past, something that's happened in history, that action is perfect, i.e. complete. And that really makes sense to me. It's a very nice place in my brain. That action is complete. It's done. It's over. It's finished. It's perfect. Whole. Complete. There's nothing I could do about it. And there's nothing that I should do about it. It's happened in my past. And it's done. There's nothing I can go back to. There's nothing I can correct. And I'm not supposed to be able to do that. I don't tend to look back with regret generally. There are things that I know I could have done differently, but all we have is now. So knowing that I would have done things differently back then is important. Wishing I could go back and do those things differently is irrelevant because I can't. It's the knowledge and holding on to that knowledge and letting it inform my present actions that's important. There are some things that are really difficult to let go of. There's some things that, are, that is really difficult to move past. There's something that is really difficult to move past but I try not to hang on to those and dwell on those. And I try to focus on what's going on right now because the past is perfect. 
the action is completed. It's done. There's nothing I can do. And the energy I have and the thinking power I have and the will I have to do better is best spent in the moments I have now and in the moments that are coming. The past is perfect. As you've gotten older, do you care less about your birthday? If anything, I care more about my birthday every year. Aging is such a privilege. It's such a gift to be able to age, to have another year of life. This is a good time to ask me this question as well, because my birthday was literally about a month ago. And every birthday that passes, I reflect on every year that I've gone through in my life, all the things that could have happened. And I'm here. I'm still here living this life. It's a gift. It's a beautiful thing to be alive. I also think this when people insult people who are older. I always think, is that not something that you want to <laughs> reach that age? It's a joy to reach every age. And I feel as I listen to people who are older and younger than me, and as I listen to different perspectives across life, I realize that in every stage of life, there's something beautiful to be experienced in every stage of life. And I can't wait to feel all the things that are coming to me. But I'm also so grateful to be feeling all the things I'm feeling now. Aging is a privilege. Life is beautiful. Every birthday I celebrate because there's a lot to be, there's a lot to be celebrated. Also, birthdays really align with one of my main principles, which is just by virtue of your existence, you're important. And I feel like birthdays are a recognition of that. Just by the virtue of the fact you exist, you are important. Happy birthday. That's how I feel. So every birthday I celebrate, every birthday gets better. Question nine, do you believe in soulmates? Right person, wrong time. One person, one perfect person for everyone. Let me do that again. Question nine, do you believe in soulmates? Right person, wrong time. One perfect person for everyone. I believe in soulmates. I have one. I believe that relationships work because of the efforts of the two people in them I also believe that we are all so different we all have such unique circumstances we all live such different lives that two people coming together and being compatible in every way and creating a life around and with each other is a miracle of sorts to find another person who fits you perfectly is something that none of us have any control over. Something no one could take full credit for. And something that is to be cherished and held onto when it's found. I don't believe that everyone only has one person that they can make things work with. I don't believe that at all. But I do believe that there are certain connections which are beyond explanation and comprehension. Certain connections that aren't to be figured out, they're just to be felt and held on to. So yes, I really believe in soulmates. I really do. Question 10. Are you easily moved when you witness a kind gesture from a human to another or a little thing? I am very easily moved. I'm always ready to feel. I'm always ready to feel. My feelings are ready to be felt and to be expressed. But it is often the smallest of gestures that are the most touching. I can be in the train station and someone is, two people are going to the barriers at the same time and both people offer for the other person to go first. And that touches me. 
It's just a small moment of consideration for your fellow human being in the day. Tiny things. I feel like the smallest suggestions are the most moving because they're the ones that add up most. Grand gestures are easy, but day-to-day small gestures, small things, they add up. They mean a lot. And it does move me. It moves me when I see them. It moves me when I, when I realize what they are and what the root of those things are. The reason that small things move me a lot is it'll be just as easy not to do them as it is to do them. The fact that they're done shows a level of care and attention that is really wonderful and shouldn't be taken for granted. Care can be very scarce, though it should be bountiful. So yeah, it moves me whenever I see a small gesture of kindness. Question 11. Thoughts on reaching societal goals by milestone ages, i.e. house by 30, etc. I don't think there's anything wrong with setting goals for yourself. I think they should be set for yourself because of yourself rather than because of what society deems to be the correct thing. I think actually we're in a really good place as a society generally where I guess in some spaces, in more spaces than before, I would say that there's less expectation that you should have done certain things by a certain age, especially because these things change from generation to generation. By the time my mum was my age, I feel like things, the expectations that would have been on her or my, both my parents, but the, thing, the expectations that would have been on my parents at my age are very different from the expectations on me. I also feel like the expectations of society see, can sometimes be blanket blanketed across loads of things where okay say a house by 30 for example in London that's a lot less manageable than it is somewhere in the north of England for example obviously I'm speaking from my personal perspective so I feel like it's unfair to put that expectation on yourself just because it's what should be done only you know your individual circumstances so having personal goals absolutely Having personal goals because society tells you you're supposed to do certain things, absolutely not. I think that's kind of the wrong way to approach life. And I think, as always, the right people won't care about that kind of stuff. I don't think anyone in my friendship circle would look at any of us sideways if you hadn't done a certain thing by a certain age. I think life can be so different for so many different people. Circumstances can change. Yeah, there, there shouldn't be any pressure to have done certain things by a certain age. Just being here, doing things every day, living continuing is an achievement in and of itself let's not put too much pressure on each other to do things by certain ages let's let's all relax question 12 when did you start to love yourself when i was 14 i remember i'd been very sad in the two probably when i was 12 to 14 i remember being very sad very often and I remember one day calling a friend and saying, I want to be happy. I've just decided I want to to be happy. I don't want to be sad anymore. I want to be happy. Out of the blue. And this friend was a little bit confused, but very supportive. They're like, okay, you can. I'm sure you can. Proud of you. You can be happy. Shout out that friend. You know who you are. But when I was about 14, I realized that I was very sad. And I was telling myself, I don't really care about life. I don't care about anything. I don't care about being being here I don't really care about anything and I realized I was saying these things but I was still here and I was getting up every day and going to school and I was eating when it came to meal times and 
it just occurred to me that even if I didn't feel like I cared very much, my actions were saying otherwise. And my actions were saying otherwise for a reason, because ultimately no one could really truly force us to do anything we don't want to do. There was some part of me that realized I'm worth being taken care of. I'm worth still being around. And I realized that I wanted to listen to that part of myself more than I wanted to listen to anything else. And there have been times since in my life where I've been deeply, deeply, deeply sad. I wouldn't say I've ever had depression, but I felt deeply depressed before. And in those times, I have tried to remind myself that doing what feels like the bare minimum is proof that in there somewhere I still love myself. I love myself enough to keep going. And that's the feeling I should listen to more than anything else, more than any other feeling, more than any external circumstance, more than anything that's being told to me. The fact that I care enough to keep myself going in this difficult time is the feeling that I should listen to and nurture until it's bigger than anything else. I love myself very much. Everyone deserves to be loved very much. I hope you love yourself very much, whoever's listening to this. And the love that we have for ourselves should be without condition. We deserve to love ourselves. We deserve to love ourselves without condition. It's not, I don't love myself because I'm the best person ever or because I've always loved who I am or because I'm proud of absolutely every single th thing I think and do. There's just enough good in me that I know I love myself and I deserve to be loved. And I started to think that way around 14. And it's a mindset that I'm continuing to work on and continuing to grow because I do, I do love myself and I deserve to. And so do you. Question 13. When you read books, do you retain most of what you read or just some parts stay with you? Excellent question. I read a lot of books. I read a lot of books. Every month I try to read a fiction book, a non-fiction book, and a book I read or would have read as a child. And that means I read very frequently and I read a lot. Non-fiction books, I tend to read more than once because I feel like you can't, first and foremost, I don't think you retain absolutely everything you read. I don't think anyone reads like that unless you're reading for, when I'm studying for exams and when I'm trying to retain information, it's very different to just reading for enjoyment. I think anything you consume, you don't, you, things stick with you. I think rather than trying to remember everything, I just enjoy it and see what sticks with me afterwards. Same with a good film or a good TV show. So yeah, I don't read as if I'm going to answer a quiz on it afterwards. I think again, that was one of the things that stopped me from enjoying reading when I was reading at university for my degree. I studied English and French, which I mentioned earlier already. I would read books trying to remember everything that I could because I knew anything could be important. Now, when I read for enjoyment, I just read to enjoy and then whatever sticks, sticks. Nonfiction books, if I'm trying to learn something in particular, I will read more than once so that the lessons kind of stay. And I'm a big highlighter. I like to highlight books. I have a Kindle, which means that obviously I don't have to physically deface any books. But if I have a physical copy of a book that I don't share with somebody else, I'll highlight. I'll, I'll highlight. I'll make my own notes if I want to remember something specifically. But generally, I just enjoy and see what stays. Question 14. 
How much pain is too much to suffer through for a relationship when I'm so deeply in love? Relationships are not easy. Relationships can be uncomfortable. That doesn't mean that relationships should be or have to be painful. To love deeply is a real gift. And it's not a gift that should be given to somebody who doesn't appreciate it. When relationships are uncomfortable or are difficult, it's something that happens, but it isn't something that should be suffered alone. The idea is that if things get uncomfortable or get difficult, it's something that both people in the relationship should work through together. You shouldn't be left on your own dealing with a painful situation and it shouldn't be something that's repeated either. I feel that if this is a question that's being asked, you're already at the point where you've suffered too deeply. You've suffered more deeply than you deserve to. To love someone deeply is a real gift. It's not something that should be given to anybody. And it's not something that you're not going to find anywhere else. I know quite often when you've put a lot or invested a lot into a relationship, it can feel like, where else am I going to get the things that I have here? If you love this deeply and you love without causing pain, you yourself are evidence that this is something that can be found elsewhere. The fact that you exist and you love the way you do and you can love deeply without causing pain proves that there are other people who will also love you deeply without causing you pain. It's never easy to leave a situation, but if a situation causes you deep and repeated pain, it's not worth you being there. And it's also very hard when you care for that person as well, when you care for someone who hurts you. But your care doesn't have to be putting yourself in a position where they're able to hurt you. You can care from afar. In fact, the most caring thing to do for them is to let them learn the lesson that they can't treat people like that. So if you're that deeply in pain, you shouldn't be there. You take your love where it's deserved and where it's met with the love in return that it deserves. And I hope that happens. Question 15, what is your favorite love language? Big shock, words of affirmation are my favorite love language to receive and probably the one I'm best at giving. The, 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 the love languages I'm best at giving are probably words of affirmation and acts of service. Come to me very naturally, things that I love to do, really love to do. Something I've become much, much better at is physical touch. We were, my family isn't a particularly touchy family we weren't when we were growing up. We're actually much more, we hug much more now than we did when I was younger, which is really nice. But growing up, we weren't particularly physically affectionate, even though there was a lot of love. So I wasn't, it didn't come to me naturally, but it's something that I've grown to really love and enjoy. And to receive acts of, uh, sorry, words of affirmation are my favorite love language to receive. I don't think anything compares to that for me. I love, anyway, that someone wants to show me love though, I'm very open to receiving, very happy to receiving. Any way you want to love me, do it. And I think it's very important to know what you respond to, but also to know what the people you're trying to love respond to. The amount of friendships or relationships I've had before where I've thought that I'm showing love and I've thought that I'm, that I'm giving the person what they need without realizing that their love language are completely different to mine. So it's important to know. It's important to know what love languages you respond to. But for me specifically, Words of affirmation, love it. 
How do you feel you can be a better man for the women in your life? That's a really lovely question. I feel like being a good man to the women in my life means listening. I don't mean debating, arguing, discussing. I mean generally just listening. Firstly, listening to conversations that are being had that don't include me. So not even me being spoken to. If there's a discourse that's going on, if there's a discussion that's going on over a certain thing, I try to listen as much as I can because there are certain things as a man I know I won't have lived, I won't have experienced, I won't have heard and I won't have known about without talking to women or listening to women. So if someone, if someone has a lived experience that I don't have, all I can do is listen. It's not really my place to argue or to give my views or to respond. Sometimes we just need to hear. I need to know. It's also my responsibility to ask questions and be curious. One of the best, one of the biggest virtues of having friends and having people you're close to is that you don't have to be perfect with them. And what I mean by that is there are certain forums or certain places where I feel like I can't ask certain questions because I'm worried about offending someone. I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to put my foot in my mouth. I don't want to say, I don't know. I don't want to make anyone feel uncomfortable. Which is why the close relationships I have with the women in my life are really valuable to me in that I can ask. I can ask where my blind spots are. I can ask people to point out my flaws and what I'm not doing well enough and know that they'll still love me despite being able to see those things in me. And I'll know that I'm able to take that correction, take that instruction whilst maintaining the friendship with that person. They're not telling me that because they don't like me. In fact, it's because they do care for me, that they want me to be better. So in short, I guess it's listening and asking questions and being willing to be corrected. And being willing to be corrected. I think those are the two, the two main things. And I'm actually going to ask the women in my life this question as well after, this, after I record this episode because I think this is a nice opportunity to. But off the top of my head and for what I feel, what I feel I... I, I what I'd like to think I'm doing correctly is, yeah, listening and asking questions. Yeah. What does being content look like for you? For me, being content is being able to stop at any time and say, generally, I'm happy with the state of things right now. Even if there are specific problems going on, there are small things I'd like to tweak. There's an issue that I'd like to deal with. Generally, the state of my life is one that I'm happy with. I can find happiness. I know I'm happy about these things. And I am very content at the moment. I would say that there are loads of things I'm aiming for. There are things I'm nervous about. There are things I'm worried about. There are anxieties I have. There are problems I'm trying to solve. Generally, I'm here. I'm alive. I do something I love for a living. I have people who care about me. Generally, I'm very content. So I say, yeah, being able to stop and take stock of everything and say, overall, can you find happiness in something that's going on in your life? If the answer is yes, I feel like that's where, that's where contentment lies. Question, what are we on? Is that 19? No, question 20. If you could say something to your younger self, what would it be?
be who you are and the right people will find you. Now, that's one that's really, <laughs> that's really difficult because I feel like especially school is a very difficult place for this because when you're in school, you see the same people every day. And if your people aren't really in that group or in that, when I say group, I mean wider group of people, it can be very difficult. It's only when really I got to university, I'd say, uh, probably sixth form at university that I really started to truly find my people. But sticking to who I am and sticking to who I was back then and the things I managed to hold on to from what I felt was my authentic self are all the things that the people who love me in my life now love most. All the things that maybe were difficult to be and to do and to say are the things that people now in my life love most about me. So I tell myself to hold on to the things I care about and not change them for anybody. Yeah. And I hope you would listen because it's good advice. <laughs> I believe that's 20 questions. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for helping me get to 30 episodes. Next week, we'll be back with our normal subject content, but I really hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Whatever you're doing this week, I hope you have a wonderful one.